and excited to have a special guest on the other side of the internet all the way in Arizona we have the wonderful Lois Laney my life would not be what it is had I not met her um, about seven years ago and I am deeply grateful because in my personal life in my autonomic nervous system and in my professional life, things took a major 360-degree turn when I met Lois. And I'm going to read a little bit about her um, and then let you be floored for the next hour. Lois Laney is a dynamic pioneer and passionate lecturer in the fields of education, sleep, scar release healing, craniofacial neurodevelopment, and much more. In addition to heading the Laney Restorative Breathing Method, Lois is also the CEO of Arizona Sleep Apnea Center, a speaker and educator of oxygen wellness, and the creator of the Laney Restorative Breathing Method. Lois has many paragraphs of incredible education. She is a Master of Business Administration, an orofacial myologist, a registered dental hygienist, a restorative breathing coach, a dynamic craniosacral therapist, certified postural exercise professional, functional movement system certified, <laughs> selective functional movement assessment certified, a rhythmic movement therapist, craniofacial release, certified lactation specialist, and much more that is even more unpronounceable. So Lois, we are so glad we have you on the line with us. Thank you for coming. Thank you for asking me. So I'm going to dive right in with our first question because we had 500 questions for you and you had to <laughs> pare them down to 12. There we go. <laughs> How did you become interested in the field of breathing and where did the idea for restoring breathing come from? Why did you call it restoring? Well, I called it restorative breathing about 12 years ago because I realized that people didn't understand that breathing needed to be restored and that if you don't have proper breathing then you have a brainstem problem and it all started though when i was three years old and one of my puppies died and i didn't want that to ever happen again so i looked at my puppy that was fully functional and the second puppy didn't make it but the third puppy was a very weak puppy. And so at three years old, I had the example of function and wellness. And then I had a clear picture of a puppy who was struggling. So because I was three years old, I didn't have any other commitments. So I could sit and focus on my puppy all day long. So I moved my puppy's feet. I moved my puppy's nose. I did all these things to figure out how to make the puppy who was weak strong and what could I do and there were some things that I made major changes for the puppy and there's other things that the puppy never quite learned so I learned way on that when a puppy or a dog only breathes through its mouth that dog is in stress and that dog doesn't know how to 
um, have all of its natural abilities to thrive. So was the puppy alive? Absolutely. Some days the puppy forgot how to hop upstairs, okay? So you had to go down the stairs, give him a little nudge, teach him how to, and then, oh yes, it would click and he would learn how to hop up the stairs again. You know, was sweetest puppy in the whole wide world, but we had to make his food small because he couldn't organize his jaw very well. He couldn't chew food like the other dogs could. So you look at it as um, just an awareness early on of what it is to thrive and what it is to struggle. So in the real world, that puppy is a human and a yes. human baby or a human toddler or um, somebody on the treadmill next to me at the gym right. who is breathing through their mouth and um, I kind of enjoy looking at the people in the cardio area at the gym and see what percentage breathe through their mouth. And I'll say about 40% in a part of America that's very affluent. And those people are probably not in any major life threat. Right. But their bodies function as if they are. So right. since we started with this and we have many listener questions about mouth breathing, can you explain a little bit about why the puppy that breathes through their mouth is not doing well and can't organize their jaw and chewing? Well, it goes back to, we'll automatically apply this to humans now, of course. But the, the jaw, if the jaw doesn't close, there are reasons why and their nerves. So the nerves create function to the muscle. If the nerve isn't fully connected, or if only half of it is, let's say the right side's connected, but the left side isn't, then you don't have uniform function of the jaw. And of course the tongue is connected to the jaw. So everything that's above the jaw and below the jaw, any of those nerves, if they are not fully functional, then the muscles don't get to cooperate and the jaw doesn't get to close, create pressure internally. And then we have other nerves that open up valves above the mouth into the nose and to keep it open. So what happens is most people have learned how to function now based upon what we watch on TV. And mouth open posture is very common so that people adapt it because of their mirror neurons and they really don't know that they're doing it, mm -hmm. okay? So again, people learn motion patterns from somebody and if they're mouth breathing, their nervous system is just going to copycat it, okay? So it's not a trained behavior, it's an observed behavior, okay? So if most of people are learning to how to use a treadmill breathing through their mouth, they're going to do it unconsciously because the cranial nerves, the brainstem nerves, do everything involuntarily. So they're involuntarily learning this motion pattern with mouth open breathing posture. So even if you didn't have any disruptions like early on allergies or you know a, a lot of difficulty nasal breathing, you can still become a mouth breather just through observing and the mirror neurons, observing other people breathe like that? Exactly, because we can take some little children who snore and they don't have anything biologically 
or neurologically that's not functioning, but they do sleep with other people who snore. And they just mimic and sync up. Have you ever watched a little kid who has a gait mm -hmm. and they're walking just like daddy? Mm -hmm. Or they do things just like mommy. You know, we don't know what we do because so much of our motions are non-conscious. But if you watch little kids, their behavior and their mannerisms tell us what we're doing that we don't notice. So you may automatically have a cup of coffee and you may smack your lips twice when you're done, but you don't know it. But if you watch a little kid and you give them a little cup, just like the adult, they will give you the behavior that you do, but we're not aware of it. So there's so many things that are mimicked that are not known to, to, to actually transfer data that way. But of course we do. That's why artificial intelligence really has an interesting focus on our lives because we're not aware of what we do. But certain things keep track of what we do that we're not aware of. So when a... So we sort of understand the health detriments to mouth breathing, right? So let's assume we do. And then a child mirrors or mimics their parent who mouth breathes. Do they get the same negative effects as well? I mean, do those similar oh, types sure. of things develop as well? Oh, yes. When you so buy... So the parent right. might have a physiological reason why they do it. Correct. And... Do the do the does the child somewhat develop like develop along the same things, or do they just have similar types of consequences, it, even though they don't have the same physiology? Right, and it all depends. Each one of us are different, but they have the potential. Yes. So if you breathe through your mouth and your jaw is open, the bone of the jaw will grow differently at different angles because of the weight and the stress of the muscles on the bone. Okay, so you can have anatomical changes of bone because of the position of the muscle angulation and function. The tongue is going to be in a different position. The air is going to go in and out of the mouth. So the chemistry of breathing will be less than ideal. And the most important part is the back of your nose and your soft palate, they lose function. So they lose tone. So if your soft palate isn't utilized as function, then it gets flabby. And so the more it gets flabby and flabby and flabby, then it increases your ability to snore because you've got longer tissue due to atrophy, basically. If you don't use it, it gets flabby. We kind of know that principle about the body. Mm -hmm. So that's what's going in in that arena. And then the back of the nose, if you're getting all the air, then the back of the nose doesn't know to stay open. So you have to train the whole nose. So the nose has many different nerves and all of them have to work and they have to work in harmony with each other so that you can retrain or resync the body after it's been through a habit that hasn't been beneficial for them. Thank you. Sure. So I, I find that in general, people have a hard time understanding the benefits of nasal breathing. And I know that when I came to you to learn more about how I can support my clients who have chronic pain, I would find that it wasn't that hard for most people to switch to nasal breathing. We could do the protocols that you taught us, 
And it wasn't, it would take them a month and they'll become relatively competent breathers. Right. But they would have a really hard time understanding how come no one told them that. I was just working with someone the other day. She said, how come I'm 62 years old? I've had neck pain for 60 of those 62 years. How come nobody has told me that my tongue position is not optimal and my tongue is tied and I have all these issues with my neck and my nose and my mouth. And she said, you don't, you're the first person ever. So what happens? What is the disconnect? There's the medical field, there's ENTs, there's pulmonologists, there's sleep doctors, there's dentists. And where is the disconnect that people do not receive that information when they struggle so much? And what are some of the symptoms that might be nasal or mouth breathing related? Well, the biggest thing is in the 70s, everything went from physiology-based function of the body to medicine. So as soon as we get medicine, medicine can be, um, you know, you can get a patent for your medical formula, and now you can make money off a patent. You cannot patent physiology. I can't patent oxygen. Okay, so I can't. Physiology is natural function. You can't patent it, mm -hmm. okay? So medicine quit doing the basic, which is called a cranial nerve exam. And they went into formulas and formulas make money. And then if we have a problem with a body part, when anesthetics came on board, now we can cut out the body part that isn't working. So physiology comes from the neurophysiological dimension that says we're electricity. It's not rocket science if you're blow drying your hair and all of a sudden your hair dryer quits. You know, we all kind of know we need to check the flip on the hair dryer and then we can check the GFI switch and then we know to go out to the fuse box and make sure that the fuse is switched. And then if the fuse doesn't switch, we know to go to Home Depot and buy a bigger fuse. So that's not rocket science. And that same logic has been lost in medicine. They don't think in those terms anymore because we're after finding the tumor. Let's look for cancer. Mm -hmm. And then technology, okay, there's only so many hours in medical training. So then now, we're, now we need to be taught much more in technology. So something has to go. Okay, so hands on, how do we, with our hands, how do we determine what's going on with the patient? That now takes second place to the um, technology that we need to be updated. And of course, it's always changing now. Okay, so we have, we have a very different world than the one we used to use. And so we're missing that basic thing. But a cranial nerve exam, if you know what you're doing, you can figure out if the most important nerve that needs to regulate your oxygen, if it's dysfunctional, that's a big deal. But if we don't measure and if we don't test, we don't know. So they quit measuring and they quit testing. So now we don't know. So before the pharmaceutical revolution of the 70s, were ENTs and pulmonologists and dentists and maybe I'm imagining chiropractors perhaps, were they competent in examining the nerves that come out of the brain into the face 
tongue, yes. throat, and neck, yes. and chest, and viscera? Right. And that was, they, they knew the whole body, uh-huh. okay? Because access to care was different. So in many, in many environments, you know, everybody went to the vet first because going to a physician was maybe a two-hour drive. Okay, so people knew anytime you took a class, not only did you know the cranial nerves, you knew how to test them. If you go to almost every person who has a license today, they knew how to identify the cranial nerves in a cadaver. They knew how to take a test. What is their origin? Where's their surgeon? What are their functions? Okay, but they never were taught to test them in a live human being and then what to do if it didn't work. For our listeners who might not be in this field, would you explain how breathing and the cranial nerves are related functionally? Well, every cranial nerve has to do its job, okay? So in your nose, you're gonna have several cranial nerves, and if they're not doing their job, your nose doesn't get to work. There are also several cranial nerves that involve your lips. Well, if they're not working, your lips can't come together. Physically, they can't. So there are kids who chew and their lips are open and we call them sloppy eaters or picky eaters, things like that. But they have a nerve that's not working fully because natural is lip together posture. Natural is nasal breathing. So that's the part of the message that got missed. What is natural and what is functional? Okay, so when your lips are together, you will have better oxygenation, okay? That's what people don't know because they're not measured. And then when your lips are together, then the nerve in the back of the throat needs to measure oxygenation and it senses it through its other branches. And then the brainstem has this amazing ability to self-correct. That's the issue. We call it nature. We call it healing. But if the brainstem, which is made up of cranial nerves, if it knows the data and it's supported with all the nerves doing their job, it will self-correct. Just like you said, you taught some clients what to do and within four weeks, the brain has synced up with a new ability, mm-hmm. okay? It is nature, it is its natural setting something got in the way, something messed it up, who knows? There's a million options. But the cool part is it can be reset because it's able. It's able to be reset and all of us have a different combinations of perhaps what nerve isn't doing its job. So if you have 28 branches of cranial nerves, you know, we may have a person that needs all 28 branches to be doing their job and some people may need two. That's why if we test, we know. And if we know, we can get people in the right direction for the support they need. And what's really confusing for me is I have clients who come, because I specialize in chronic pain, so almost everyone, 100% of the people, have some breathing competency that's compromised, especially people with apnea. And people will go to sleep doctors, and they're never examined for what's happening. In, they do a sleep study, they calibrate the sleeping machines, but they don't really get examined for their behaviors during the day. And so they're still unsupported in daily life and still functioning in very compromised ways. And I'm just 
really hopeful that through your work and what I've been able to learn in just seven short years, I think that we can shift that on a large scale. And it really gives me hope because it doesn't involve expensive surgeries or tools or buying something to have at home or fitting something Darth Vader-like on your face. It's just you with yourself. And that's very empowering. There's a lot of self-efficacy in when you can feel your tongue, feel your lips, feel the back of your throat, feel your nose, touch yourself and observe yourself and you're able to self-correct. Right. And that's the thing is it's very simple and similar when you look at the context of teeth. Okay. Because in 1969, the average 65 year old had 17 teeth. Okay. So that lets us know on how little people knew what to do to keep their teeth healthy. Okay. And it's the same correlation. The more people know if they choose to take responsibility for their health and support themselves, because it's just like I tell people, do you brush your teeth one day and say, okay, that's off my to-do list. I'm done. <laughs> no, we all know that. But I tell you what, in 1978, when, when I worked with some of my first patients in 1977 to teach them how to floss, you can't imagine how many people said, well, I never had a problem until I flossed. Now you made my gums bleed. You see, there was that much lack of knowledge. And now if you tell somebody to floss, you're not teaching them something that they have no idea of. Okay? So when people don't understand teeth, teeth hold jaws up. Jaws keep mouths open, tongue up keeps airway open. And when you have the tongue up, the nose works, you know, there's all these other things going on. If you don't understand that, okay, that's that what you have to understand to have good oral health. Mm -hmm. And good oral health from a bacteria point of view, while that's essential, good neurological health in the mouth transfers to a better brain. And who doesn't want a better brain? So again, if we don't test oxygen, you are working with less ability than what you have waiting for you. You know, it's like me, I go get a brand new computer. Oh, but I'm only gonna use one little bitty um, something or other. You know, if I have a gigabyte, right? I have the ability to use a gigabyte, but if I don't have it formatted, I may use something significantly less. So that's how I look at a brain. You have a bazillion bytes waiting for you, you know, a mm -hmm. hundred million more than a gigabyte. <laughs> but yeah. if you don't have enough oxygen and your cranial nerves aren't sequencing and signaling, then you get to use the, you know, 2001 version of your internet. So let's talk a little bit less abstract. So, let's, yep. so what do somebody, what should somebody look for to, to notice or identify that they have breathing challenges to begin with? What are the symptoms? Well, now that's the fun part. They can have many, many, many different types of symptoms. So the first thing we're going to go back is we can look at biochemical. So if you have less oxygen, the very first symptom you can have is anxiety because your brain is anxious because you don't have enough oxygen. 
okay? Visually, you would look at them and they could be breathing with their shoulders or we call it chest breathing, okay? So that's the wrong nerve that's doing the breathing. They could be breathing through their mouth, okay? Or you could hear a lot of noisy breathing, okay? Labored breathing. So those are some of the visual signs. The complaints, people can have um, ADD symptoms, but again, it's from the electricity and lower oxygen levels, okay? So you look at that, our bodies, after they function with lower oxygen levels, they may experience fatigue. They may experience um, unexpected palpations and unexplained palpations. Um, people can even have hallucinations. So if your CO2 isn't coming out of you, you're very toxic on the inside, and we could almost technically label you delusional if your CO2 is low enough. So that's not a good day. So again, that affects perception. So the perception of what's going on could be different. So I'm reacting differently than what maybe my environment truly is. Just like, you know, some people are cold and some people are hot. Well, that's how their body is regulating to the real temperature. So it has everything to do with regulation. So it could be my emotional regulation. It could be my hormones. Okay, I may be unregulated my hormones. Um, all the different parts also affect your autonomic nervous system and your autoimmune system. So you can have a variety of different things going on and it still be the same um, like cranial nerve dysfunction, lower oxygen and lower CO2. So it's kind of a combination of all that. You can also um, perceive like people don't hear you. So if the mouth is open, the jaw is gonna be close to the ear canal. So again, if the mouth is open, people don't hear the same because there's pressure limiting the function of hearing. And hearing the same nerve also has to do with balance. So again, if the mouth is open, you may be more prone to trip. If your mouth is open more and that's your normal breathing, you could be um, you know, the person who always falls down, has twisted ankles, bruising on the knees. Do you see? So it's not a direct, you wouldn't think, oh, breathing through the mouth is going to cause me to be um, clumsy. Yeah, because it affects nerves. And it's the mechanical position of the jaw that can put the physical compression on a nerve. And then the nerve doesn't get to work right. Yeah, and it's not always a direct correlation that what's happening right now is the direct effect, but it's what's been happening for all of these months and years that has been caused this over time. Right. And right. Compensation. Right. Because sometimes, again, the time changes anatomy. So you can look at some people and you can see their, their nostrils are incredibly petite because they don't have size and truly to get airflow. So of course that matters, that matters a lot. You know, so that's what we don't, that's why we wanna intervene young. That's why we wanna teach parents what they can do and building those formulas to get the message out in an easy way so people can do a test for their children themselves, do a test at home and what can they do to help themselves. But you're hundred percent correct. It's the person who says, I want a healthier life. I want a stronger life. And they're looking, what can I do to get a better 
functioning life. And way, the way the brain does that is you must have space in your nose to breathe. I am continuously amazed because it's a part of my intake to look at people's breathing habits and to do some assessment when we first meet. And I have yet to see a person with fibro or chronic fatigue or syndromes, IBS, adrenal fatigue, migraines, who doesn't have compromised breathing competencies. And I'll ask questions about early orthodonture. They'll say, oh yeah, I had four teeth extracted because there was no space and then they straightened my teeth. And nobody has ever related. I don't even share with them because it would be overwhelming how all of that collided together, together with the other events in their life to create those unbearable constellation of symptoms. And people want their lives back. They want yep. their brains on board. Because it's like a part of you knows that it's not normal. And another part of you knows you're not crazy. Right. And the, and the challenge, you're 100% correct. And we can't give them a whole lot of data because let's look. Our first thing, any person who knows information and is in the position to share with another person is we don't want to do any harm, okay? So just like you would not train somebody for the Olympics if they were in chronic back pain with a bulging disc, right? You, we, that's just common sense. So why are we training people when number one, they don't have enough oxygen to metabolize the motion that we're asking from them? And so if we go back and measure the basics, if we know, can you breathe at this much rate of time? So can you breathe at 10 breaths a minute? Can you breathe silently through your nose? Check your oxygenation. And when that person has more oxygen and we do some breathing strategies to reset it, now they can hear the message we have to offer. So, so many times people are like, oh my goodness, why isn't my person following? I've spent so much time trying to get it. A lot of times they can't hear you or they can't process it. And their brain doesn't have enough oxygen to think, remember, learn, and then repeat. So that's the fun part is that we want, our brains want to reset, but most of the time they're not able. They're physically not able to reset because there's not enough oxygen. So just like you said, you go through some breathing strategies, you can typically see a lot of changes, but the person has to do it every day because you're gonna breathe 35,000 times a day, the average person. That's 11 million breaths per year, okay? So you can do a lot in a short period of time. And then if you don't stay on top of it, you're not gonna make any steps because you do have to put forth some effort. So you, you mentioned some kind of at-home things you can check out your kids for or yourself for. Would you say that listeners would have something tangible they could take away from this conversation, something they can observe or see if they can shift for themselves? Would that be something like breathing silently like you mentioned or checking breath rate, how many times per minute? And is there right. something that is worth them correcting on their own before all many hundreds of people listening to this uh, write you an email and try to get a consult <laughs> with you. We'll probably well, the, get a no thank you note from you after this podcast. Exactly. Well, the first thing 
I think is self-awareness to where I personally, if I was listening, I would go out and buy a little pulse socks machine that I can get off of Amazon for 30 bucks or less. Okay. It's just like when you ask, have you weighed yourself? Well, if you don't know, you don't know. But that information does give us information so our brain, the right and left brain can go, uh-oh, what am I going to do about this? Okay. So if, I, if my oxygen's at 98%, life is going to be different than if my oxygen's at 92%. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what's, what's the number we would be happy for them to see? I want them 96 or above. That's an A. So breathing has two numbers, A and F. You flunk breathing or you get an A. Okay. <laughs> Everything else, because here's what happens. As soon as the oxygen drops, your autonomic nervous system goes into fight and fright. See, that's the correlation people don't think. They think that oxygen lives somewhere on its own. But the implication of it being at 95 or 94, the brain has already gone into, holy crap, this is not a good day. So now you're going to live off of what? If you don't have enough oxygen, your brain has to have sucrose, right? So you're going to go out and get some sugar. Mm-hmm. Any, anybody know that in, in our America? You know, we just never stop by for the caffeine sugar break. And again, so our brain, then our red blood cells, they actually go to the dark side. They give up oxygen. They say, hey, we got something so much better. It's called sugar. We're going to hook up with sugar and we're ditching oxygen. Because once a red blood cell takes the preference of sugar, it doesn't go back to carrying oxygen. And red blood cells, if they've gone to the dark side, they will live with you for 120 days. Right. So they're, they're kind of floating around, kind of car- caramelized. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Which, they're all gooey and all full of caramel. Oh, I love that. Which is what we get when we get a blood test to look at our carbohydrate, carbohydrate tolerance, right? And we see that A1C is high. It's like, oh, your red blood cells are not carrying oxygen. They're carrying sugar. And that's right. why you feel a lack of energy, or that's why your midsection has gotten thicker. But right. perhaps it's not people's diets because not everyone with a mar- metabolic issue is a horrible eater or right. has poor genetics. Perhaps, you know, they had a near drowning accident or they woke up in the midst of surgery or fell on their face and or had their nose broken in a heroic fight. And now, you know, they're, I, I really hope people get injured in, in heroic ways versus like, you know, I try to swat a fly or something. Um, they, they had something got compromised and now they are overweight. They don't have energy. They're struggling to live the life they imagined. Right. How sad is that? They don't get oh. support to breathe fully. It is. And that's why you can do the basics of start to monitor your own oxygen. Okay. It's that important. And oxygen is more important than water. So as much as we want people to drink water, they need to breathe oxygen first. If they breathe through their mouth, they are always going to be dehydrated. Okay. So let's go back. If you breathe through your mouth, you will be dehydrated. All the water in the world is now going to cause a kidney problem. Do you see? So you've got to breathe through your nose to keep yourself moist. Moist air produces better oxygenation, oxygenation, and it produces better flow. 
So the other thing is when you do mouth breathing, the pH of your body changes. So your blood vessels also get smaller. Mm. Blood vessels get smaller. Blood with the oxygen doesn't get to go to all the little points. And, so and you, potentially blood pressure probably goes higher, yeah? Well, blood pressure goes higher from a different functioning nerve, but it's the same. Yeah. It, I mean, it's just kind of like a snowball. Yeah. So you mentioned this pulse ox device, yep. $30 or so. Um, is that, yep. like, would, you, would, would a parent also like stick their kid's finger in this thing? And uh, Sure. And, like, and just, is, that, is that the best way to do that? Or are there more? Right. Nope. Nope. It's very simple. But what you want to do is people forget about position. Okay. So I just teach people only measure your position that you want to live in. Okay. So if you measure your breathing sitting down and your oxygenation will be one number, we're going to measure it standing up and we're going to measure laying down and laying down. You can measure on your left side and your right side and also the position that you prefer to sleep in. It's called functional application. So you want to know how you do it. If you measure your blood pressure, or excuse me, your oxygenation in the morning, what is it at lunchtime? Mm. What is it in the evening? So mix it up. Get an idea of how your body works. Okay? No, that's, With, that's really good because it it's going to show quite a bit more. Just yeah. You know, one, if, you, if you hit the, the jackpot on the first one and you're like, I'm good, and then the rest of the day you're struggling, you didn't really, it uh, wasn't a good test. Right. So what's it? Go ahead. Sorry, for me, my struggle with, with breathing was mostly in the afternoon, not so much in the morning, but it took me a while to figure that out. Yeah. Right at the time that you want to go for a muffin in the Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. And it's or fine. I, I hope yeah. we can make the, the pulse ox machine the new keto testing thing. Well, <laughs> it, it, gives, it, gives, it gives a person very good information. So okay. once they have the information, um, then what? What's next? Well, the next thing you can do um, is you can sit and say, how quiet can you breathe? And can you breathe quietly for three minutes? And what that looks like is you truly, the best way to measure is if you have some earplugs, okay? And you put them in your ear so your brain can hear you breathe. Because remember how I said the brain can self-correct? Mm -hmm. The brain can self-correct if we set it up to win. So in order to do that, we have to have something between our teeth. So sometimes we have to create what we call neutrality in nerves so that all the nerves can work together. So you need to put something between your front teeth. It could be a Q-tip holder you just put between your teeth. It could be the handle of a plastic fork. It could be a straw, you know, tongue depressor. Just get something between your teeth. Put earplugs in your ears. Now the hard part is you must keep your eyes open. You need to keep your eyes open and focused. Not hyper-focused, but focused. So the best way to do that is just find something that has some color in it. Could be a picture and you're looking at the blue skier or something, who knows. But you've gotta focus on something, okay? Everybody wants to close their eyes when they do this, but the brain does not self-correct because some of the cranial nerves are eye nerves. So. For breathing to shift, again, every cranial nerve has to do its job, which means we have to put it to work. So your We're eyes must be open. We are not meditating because anybody can do it if you close your eyes. 
but you can't do it with your eyes open. The last time I checked, that's called living. Okay, <laughs> We must be able to breathe with our eyes open. You have no idea how many people can't breathe with their eyes open. Okay, And they can breathe with their eyes closed sitting up, but they can't breathe through their, with their eyes laying down. See, every position matters because the brainstem has to adjust and do something different. Okay, But that's called functional movement. How do I move in all these different positions? So again, I call it lowest, lowest breathing just because I had to call it something. And so your lips, oh yes, your lips must be together. You've got your teeth supported on something, ideally something of wood texture. You've got earplugs in your ears, your eyes are open, and you're going to silently breathe for three minutes. And you're gonna pay attention to the sound of breathing. And all you have to do is wait till you get to silent, keep your eyes open. And the key in this dimension is sometimes it gets scary when your brain hears you, just to let you know, okay? Because a lot of time, the last time the brain could hear you breathe was when right before you passed out, mm. okay? So your brainstem has every reason to freak out. So that's when you simply say to yourself, in this moment, I'm 100% safe. And then your brainstem goes, oh, really? Well, I guess I am safe. That, you know, something's not falling on me. Something bad's not happening to me. Okay? So yeah, because right before you pass out, you can hear your heartbeat. You can hear your breath sounds. And your brainstem remembers everything bad that's ever happened to you. Okay? So then Do you, you just override it. With somebody? Like not being yeah. alone? Is it, oh, no. You, you can do it anywhere you want. Preferably not when you drive. <laughs> <laughs> well, your eyes are open. So I, don't know. I know, but those earplugs, <laughs> you may not hear what somebody in the other lane may be telling you. It's illegal. It's illegal. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So uh, that's what you want to do it three minutes a day and just say, can I do it? And then wherever I am throughout my day, you want to think about where's my lips? Where's my teeth? My teeth shouldn't touch. My tongue should be touching the roof of my mouth. And then you just sit there for a second and go, can I hear myself breathe? Wait until your breathing becomes quiet. Because all these physiological, neurological changes can occur if you put the body in this position. Because it's called nature. So we're doing a natural reset. And when you do, the power of oxygen gets to take off. And that's what we all want. So I have one more performance-oriented question. It's kind of like um, as we start to kind of land this very wonderful then we have conversation. A speed round. Yes, and then we're going to have a speed round of listeners' questions. <laughs> but there are several kind of movement-oriented breath modalities out there that are really organized around ribcage position, about organizing the pelvis and ribcage, and you know a, a lot of them function with some way around pelvic floor disorder or other challenges that might be happening in that area. And just from your experience, because I see a lot of people who have applied themselves heavily to learning those methods and getting the best out of them and they're still struggling, do you feel like there's a hierarchical organization here where you can go and put the ribcage in whatever position you want to put it and you can do the biomechanics of breathing, but then when the electrical part is not wired right, 
we're still feeling like opening a door while closing it shut because that's what I see my clients have done it. Right, because just remember physiology is the anatomy, of course, the biomechanics, but the two parts everybody forgets is the biochemistry. So we talked a lot about the biochemistry of breathing and then the bioelectrics. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the bioelectrics, if you don't have enough parasympathetic electricity, then your body isn't going to shift. So you're right, we can do all the mechanics we want. Is it beneficial? Yes. But is it going to retrain or resync a brainstem? No. The bottom line is your brainstem is the most important foundation because that's just the way it is. It runs sleep, it runs digestion, it runs safety, it runs everything that makes you human. So I don't care what's going on. If you have any problem in your life that you're not what you want to be, you can always start with your brainstem and you're always gonna get a good boost. Mm -hmm. After everything in your brainstem is working, get down there and work on all the biomechanics you can because then your body has enough oxygen, it can self-regulate, and most importantly, it can learn. So when you teach the ribs to do something else, the brain says, whoa, I got that, Mm -hmm. because it has enough oxygen and you have enough parasympathetic electricity so the brain can process new information and adapt to it and retain it and recall it. So there's lots of steps in biomechanics But if you don't have enough oxygen, and if you don't have parasympathetic electricity, you don't get the changes that every human deserves. Wonderful. We got it. First listener question. Okay. We've got a a couple questions about snoring. Yeah. Both in adults and kids, yeah? Yeah. Somebody snoring, kid or adult, what's your advice? Well, we would still start at the beginning. (laughs) We would have them check their oxygen. We would have them practice. I know, I know, I'm so sorry. Physiology doesn't change for Roland. Yeah, no, it doesn't because they got it, because sometimes you could have 20 cranial branches that are dysfunctional. And if you lowest breathe for three minutes, they all can shift on their own. So you can positively affect your snoring by or limit reduce your snoring by taking care of some of these cranial nerve oh honey no 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 all of it okay. because it only comes from cranial nerves it's not coming from your you know your arm nerve or your, so your arm CPAPs muscle. and stuff like that those are just compensating for right it, however a cranial nerve could be damaged in a concussion a cranial nerve could be and the brain processing part could be damaged in a head injury so yeah. we, most of the time, when, when, after we turn the cranial nerves on, if there's still a limitation, you have some injuries in your brain that were not diagnosed when you got a head injury. And that's what we find. That's why we're so committed to working with everybody out there to get a right diagnosis so we can get those cranial nerves back on, get oxygen back to the brain so it can heal. Right. Okay, so snoring is one thing. Snoring a lot of times is cranial nerves and sometimes brain injuries, but you still want to turn on the cranial nerves because we know through all these amazing stories from people out there, you can function with half a brain. Yeah. If you have brain plasticity and brain plasticity comes from 
parasympathetic electricity, optimal oxygen, and plenty of CO2 coming out so that the body can self-heal. So it's all about getting you back into self-healing. Snores are gonna have some anatomy. Usually their soft palate isn't nerved innervated. So I would never have surgery to cut off some of the most important parts in the back of our throat. We would want to just wake up the nerve first and get it going. So in the meantime, somebody's using a CPAP, right? And um, having trouble getting it to work. One person says, my belly gets full of air and I wake up bloated. What am I doing wrong? They're not doing anything wrong. What they have going on is that their valves aren't synchronized throughout their nose and the back of the throat. So that's my program that I call neurosequencing. So the nerves are out of sequence. And so when it puts air, instead of going in the lungs, of course, it's going down their stomach. Mm -hmm. And now they're going to have massive digestion issues. So that's why, you know, the, the CPAP works when that is what it needs to do. Right. Okay. So yeah, that's, and, and, but those people need a lot of help because that is something that can, you would have to do some work. And of course we'd have to do testing, but you can get that back on. You can get a lot of things back on. You got to get the person committed to uh, like brushing their teeth every day. They got to okay. get in there and wake up their brainstem. Okay. Um, okay. So Therese asked some breathing practices or some recommend breathing into the nose, breathing out through the nose. Others breathe in through the nose and say, breathe out through the mouth. So we seem like we're pretty dialed in on the breathing in part. So what's the, why the difference between in the reading out? So there's a lot of different philosophies. The philosophies of breathing out of your mouth come from the practice of a non-sick human. Okay, I'm going through my life, I'm doing fine, and now I want to get stronger. Okay, now I have autonomic self-correction of my brainstem. My brainstem's on, it's working away, okay? okay? Now, if you wanna train me to do something, go for it, but I still have to come back and reset to nasal breathing. If I push my body and I'm breathing out through my mouth to where I'm starting to pant, now I'm gonna upregulate, I'm gonna go into fight and fright, I'm gonna dump a whole lot of cortisol, and the cortisol is the gift of giving of we're going to mess up your sleep. We're going to mess up your metabolism. You're going to gain weight, but you think you've, you're doing a really good job. Okay. So sometimes those are the spongy people that are thin, but they're spongy because they're still pushing their breathing to a stressful point and they haven't reset back to calm parasympathetic. Fair enough. Yep. So again, if you don't have good optimization of your brainstem and your cranial nerves and your autonomic nervous system, do not go into mouth breathing. Your brain and your body isn't ready for it yet. Okay. Yet. Yeah, okay. I mean, a lot, of the, a lot of the times when I hear about the breathe in through the nose, out through the mouth, it's like meditation, and which is generally probably from, I mean, I'm envisioning these monks who are like super regulated and they're, <laughs> they're, they've got their lives and bodies dialed in. So right, they, but they also didn't technique. talk. Right, but they also didn't talk a lot the way people talk today. Do you know? Mm -hmm. So sometimes if you over talk, mm -hmm. then you're blowing off too much and you need to be quiet. 
Seriously. Are we thinking this meditation, this going to the this meditation thing. <laughs> Rest talking. Okay. Well, that was one of the hardest things for me. Even though I have at at rest, I am a competent nasal breather. The moment I start teaching, if I have an audience, if my stress hormones are a bit higher because of all the, you know, the, what we call speech fever in Bulgarian, uh, you know, that performance anxiety, I we, my body switches to mouth breathing. And so the way I've taught myself is to only speak as fast as I can inhale through the nose, but it still catches me off guard. It was the hardest thing. Right. Because it's, you know, it's speaking breathing. Yeah. Speaking so, uh, breathing is right. hard. <laughs> right. So a lot of times I'll tell people just to say, you know, breathe in through your nose. So silently breathe in. It is nice to see you. <laughs> yeah. How is your day? <laughs> you know, until you can, you just speak as you exhale, when you're done exhaling, Put your lips together, breathe in through your nose, continue on. Okay, that slows me to about 25% of what I can say. <laughs> Welcome Thank to modern are. society. <laughs> yeah, it's Roland's dream. I, I keep inviting him to go to a silent retreat together, and he keeps saying, can't we just do it at home? So thank you so much for encouraging. Well, you, you could tape your mouth, you know, get a little stick, put between your teeth, tape your lips and see who can go for five hours without talking. Quite contest. There you go. Better than a scary, staring contest. Okay. Last question for Lois. Because we're on time. Oh, okay. Yeah? Yeah. So Lois, you are, for me the person that I refer to when people have been everywhere and they're hopeless. Um, my goal for the future is to send you people who have not been everywhere and are hopeless, uh, which will probably <laughs> change what your day looks like. But you are generously available for online consults. I don't know how much longer the world is going to have you available because you're, you're teaching so many other professionals and probably eventually you won't have time for that. But right now you still do. So what's the best way for people to contact you and get a consult with you if they feel that them or their child or spouse needs or puppy needs your support? <laughs> exactly. All mammals need to breathe through their nose. Um, so what you want to do, you can go to my website. It's restoringbreathing.com. And you can sign up there or you can, and on the website it has, you can email or in our phone numbers on there too. And you can call and just let us know what's going on. We have you fill out a health questionnaire because then it'll tell me a little bit the timeline of possibly some injuries to the head or the neck. And then we look at, we do a simple cranial nerve assessment. Um, and it's kind of obvious to see what's going on. Parents can easily see what's going on. People can self see as long as maybe you know, their brain isn't injured really bad to where, you know, they can't drive a car. I mean, we have to be real. You know, if you have limited things that you're doing, you're not going to be that self-aware. Right. But as far as people can still help you, because the power of oxygen trumps everything. Excellent. That's great. And um, I have already volunteered for when you end up writing a book one day to be your personal chef. So count me in. <laughs> there you go. I tell you what, it does take a village to uh, help 
Lois and her emails and phone call and then feed, <laughs> feed me so I can keep going because that's what it's all about is sharing this information so that people can self-help themselves because some of these things, because I'll just end with this. Have you ever heard of Dr. Paul, the, the vet that's all over Netflix and everything? So in a baby class, I have that sometimes if kids can't breathe, you actually put cold water in their face. Okay. And people in America have thought I'm close to crazy. But good old Dr. Paul, there was a calf that was delivered last night and the calf couldn't breathe. And he goes, well, just throw a bucket of cold water on it. That'll make the calf breathe. And they did it and the calf came back to life. I know. So it's things like that, that people have known that have been passed down generation to generation that are common sense, very simple. However, they work because they turn the nervous system on. We're not being mean to anybody, but if you were born in Russia, you were dipped in cold water as a baby to turn everything on. We're not doing it to be mean to children. We're doing it to turn them on so they have a strong immune system and a strong nervous system so that every breath is powerful and every heartbeat is powerful. Now we go somewhere and we do the cold plunge and, you know, and all that, kind of, but it's, it comes in popularity in sports. But these are things when we do young on, we can do the same thing for any person who's ever had a head injury to reset nature so it can do the job for you. You should never have to think to breathe. Breathing should give you the ability to think. That's the quote we're putting when the <laughs> podcast comes out. Okay. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much, Lois. We are You're blessed so by you being our guest in this wonderful storm with lots of cold water outside. I'm gonna go outside and stand in the rain a little bit after this. Exactly. Just make sure you have a stick between your teeth and just get there and breathe as the water goes on your face. Because see, that's the key. If the water hits your face, don't open your mouth. Let the water hit your face. Keep the lips together. Breathe through the nose and your brain will shift. I okay, we're going to capture that on video. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Lois. Wonderful You're to welcome. see you. Wonderful to talk and uh, have a wonderful day. Thank you much. Bye-bye. If you like today's show and want more episodes like it, you can help us by rating and reviewing the show wherever you subscribe. That means iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, or in the podcast app on your phone. Do you know somebody who can benefit from today's episode? Share it right now from the show notes, which you can always find at meetmovelive52.com slash notes. And that funk that's playing behind me, it's called Proto Funk by Kevin McLeod. Thanks and talk to you soon. Thank you.